Welcome. Like Christ followers of previous generations, we are recipients of God's extravagant hospitality. With open arms, Christ welcomes all. Together, as Tabernacle Baptist Church, we seek to understand God's call on our lives, personally and collectively, through Scripture, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the example and teaching of Jesus Christ, and our experience as a community of Christ followers. Through our callings, we strive for deliberate engagement in our core values of mission, discipleship, worship, and fellowship. Hearing and responding to God's call, we are becoming an increasingly diverse church family. Our experience with Christ reveals a Savior who is calling and equipping all to share in the kingdom of God. We commit to embody and uphold that invitation with persons of every age, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic situation, intellectual or physical capability, gender identity, and sexual orientation represented in our midst. Through hospitality, worship, prayer, Bible study, large and small group conversation, and discernment, we partner with all Christ followers as our lives intertwine with one another from birth to death and in between especially in our calling, church membership, baptism, marriage, ordination to deacon service and vocational ministry, and mission. Amid the beauty and tension of our diversity, we find room to agree and disagree, to ask questions and hear responses, to be vulnerable with one another, to move into and away from dialogue as needed, all with grace and respect for our needs and the needs of our neighbors. Above all, we affirm a unanimous desire to serve God and to love others as Christ has loved us. Wherever you are out there in the world, we want you to know we welcome you home. Welcome to Tabernacle Baptist Church. Please prepare your hearts for worship. What is the purpose of church? Or one of the primary purposes of church, if you don't want the quint- the quintessential purpose, but <laughs> either one of them. I just I feel it's a way to bring God's children together to to learn and to discuss and to work through not just current events but the Bible itself and, and to learn from it and to to figure out how it relates to the real world and what's going on. How about you, Sarah? Very similar to, to what he said, um, to join together, uh, to learn, to adapt, um, to change with each other. One thing that's, I think, inspiring is when People come together and they're just all different walks of life and um, how church can unite many different people for you know a common purpose that's very inspiring and that thinking of, of that happening globally is really amazing with tabernacle there are conversations that are necessary that we are having we're just 
starting to have. And my hope is to continue that lean. And I am grateful to have a church like Tabernacle to do that. It's it's funny for me to, to see the growth I've had. I didn't really start going to church and believing and really interacting with God until high school um, on a serious level and then really into college and seeing the growth, growth happen just from going from more of the traditional Southern Baptist to more of the God is love um, transformation. God is um, literally with you wherever you go. Mentally, emotionally, physically, he moves with you. He loves you just wherever you are. I think as I've gotten older, the older you get, the more you realize what you don't know, right? So that's part of wisdom, I guess. So over the years, my, my grasp of some things with theology has loosened and I'm more comfortable with mysteries and unknowns. My hopes and dreams for Tabernacle is to continue to lean into the wind with kindness and love and respect. I think one hope is just to continue to see that our, our church, Tabernacle, become um, more reflective of, of the body of Christ in terms of people different than each other. Um, I think I see that in a lot of places. Um, and if, you know, as always, it's a, a room, room for growth. My hope for Tabernacle is, is to continue challenging the world and, and just going out and being examples of what Christians should be of show, showing people that we aren't a stereotypical church and are accepting and opening open um, to different ideals and that we can have the discussions respectfully without belittling or coming across as the standard Christian trope. A message I could send to other Christians, be open. Be kind. This is a hard world. I would say stop complicating things. <laughs> like, truly love your neighbor. If I could send one message out to other Christians, it, it would be that we, we need to learn to accept um, that everyone's going to have a different opinion on things and you differ view things differently, have different ways that we handle what's going on in the world, uh, whether it be a pandemic or um, the racial issues going on, and need to learn how to have a respectful discussion and respect each other's views as we walk through the situations. Good morning, friends. Welcome to worship. It is the week of July the 5th of the year 2020. 
we welcome each and every one of you with open arms. Some of us are watching worship on Sunday morning, some of us on Wednesday evening, who knows, somebody maybe a year later. Regardless of where you are, regardless of when you are engaged in this particular worship experience, we do want you to know that we really do welcome you with open arms. We welcome you home. Today, we continue in deeper in this summer series under that umbrella of Reframe. We spent multiple weeks uh, leading up to this one talking about who God is and how uh, we might need to seriously consider what it means to expand our notion of who God is, to expand the frame, in other words. Today, as we continue to now stand on that foundation, we shift our eyes to the church. As you've just heard David and Andrew and Sarah um, talk a little bit about uh, their notions of what church is and who it is we're, we're called to be, our hope is, is that you'll consider it. And as we move into that consideration, that reframing, it's our hope that we will walk out on the other side with more clarity and hearts more open to the world around us. On that note, the world around us is continuing to spin. And this week, it's, it's spun at a rate that many of us feel dizzy. What a strange, beautiful week it has been. Statues on Monument Avenue and throughout the city of Richmond are being torn down. There are many that are rejoicing, and there are a good handful of people that are very much struggling with that reality. We have um, our brothers and sisters at First Baptist Church down the road that were right there at the Stonewall Jackson Monument ringing a bell. I won't get into that story for the sake of time today. You should look it up. It's an amazing story. But there were... Um, members ringing the bell at the very moment that the statue is coming down. And my good friend Jim Somerville was talking about um, the, the, the tension of that moment and the beauty of that moment. Uh, as we find ourselves in these days of leaning into tension rather than running away from it, it is our hope that when we gather for worship, we will understand that God is the unifier. God is the one that makes it capable for us to transcend our differences and lean into tension and be church together in a way that shows the world what Christ's love looks like through the gift that is unity, but also in the gift that is courageous sharing. You are welcome in this place, as you are. And our belief is, is that when we come together, we will all walk away changed and more open to the guidance of God because this moment happens. If you haven't already had a chance to prepare your communion elements at some point in the service, grab some bread of any kind, grab juice or wine. We'll partake later in the service. Let me make it very clear. At Christ's table, all are welcome. And so if you'd like to participate in communion with us, you will want to have elements a little bit later on in our service together today. Last word, we had initially planned on all being um, in worship mode as we have been during COVID where some of us are in the sanctuary leading the service and others are, are submitting videos that we kind of blend together. Uh, yesterday, a curveball headed our way and we needed to shift. And so whereas initially we were going to be 
um, doing what we've been doing for a while now, this service has moved to a service that is completely pre-recorded. That said, I'm with you today along with the other pastoral staff members and we'll be engaging with you in worship through the chat if you're using live stream or after the fact um, also in live stream but also on Facebook if you want to use comment. You've got those options. And so if you're watching on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, we want you to know that we're actually present with you. More importantly, Christ is present with us. Let's worship together. Welcome. because I talk a lot. I want to be the heart and the body of Christ because it keeps the body alive. I'd like to be the brain and the body of Christ because I can control everything and have lots of fun. I'd like to be the white blood cells of the body of Christ because I could have, I can move around lots and I can have really, really fun, fast people have been a blessing to me. Kate, Miss Judy, Miss Kathy, Miss Jerusha, Pastor Sterling. This is the mother. This is the father. This is the child. This is the children's minister. This is the grandfather. This is the person with disabilities. This is the pastor. And this is Meg. Body of Christ. God has given us all special individual talents and strengths. No one is unimportant to him. 
and he wants us to work together for building his kingdom. Thank you, children. You've led us well. We now move into a segment in worship where we want to encourage everyone to to take some time and share what God has put on your heart. How can we be praying for you? How can we be praying for the people that you love? How can we be praying for the world around you? What are you celebrating? What are you mourning? Please be mindful of privacy of others and the details that you share, but we do want to encourage you to share. Will you take a moment? Use the chat if you're on live stream or if you're watching by way of Facebook, use the comment section, but let's find creative ways to share what's on our hearts and in turn offer encouragement and also offer uh, support to one another in these unique and difficult days. Let's share and then we'll pray together. Dear God, dear Adonai, thank you for all you have given us this morning. We lift up those in our church who are sick and who are hurting in any way. Give them peace and strength to face their situations. Give them strength to the addicted. Comfort those who are victims of violence. 
Help us find ways to feed the hungry. All these things we ask in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil, from thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. to be an insult, I promise. It's a term of endearment, I said. I mean it as a compliment, I said. 
well, Laura, my wife, said, I don't know that they heard it that way. <laughs> I think she's right in hindsight. I know she's right. She usually is. You know, when I called the church the name, what I meant to say was one thing, but what people heard was a totally different thing. It was innocent enough. It was just calling the church quirky. I'm your new pastor, I said from the pulpit, two or three sermons into the gig. And I'm telling you that the more I get to know you all, the more I appreciate your quirkiness. <laughs> you, we, I said, remind me of the island of misfit toys. Now, for some of you, when you hear the, the, the phrase or the title, The Island of Misfit Toys, you know exactly what I'm getting at. You know what that's from. But there are others that probably don't know. It's the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Christmas special. I'll spoil it. That's what it's from. Rudolph, as many of you know from the song, if you haven't seen the special, is born with an abnormally red nose. And he is ostracized for it. None of the others want anything to do with him. He can't play with the other children. He's not welcome in reindeer society. He's unconditionally loved by his parents, but they don't know what to do with him. They're embarrassed, too. So one day, he just decides, if home isn't going to be a place that I belong, I'm just going to leave. And so he runs away. You'll note, he's not running towards something. He's just running away from something. Now, true to form, as he ventures out into the blizzard, into the darkness, what does he discover? But he's not the only one. There are various characters that come along in the story. My favorite is Hermie, the elf. Hermie is supposed to be an elf, and elves make toys. So if you don't feel called to make toys, you're not really an elf. He's told that he's less than. He's told that he is confused. He's told that God, says the pastor, that the special doesn't say this, but I hear it as God didn't make you that way. You've just outright blown it. So get in line and make some toys. But he knows deep down in his belly that he's called for something different, to be a dentist. <laughs> All the colorful characters that come along find themselves creating a, a band of sojourners of sorts, right? And as they discover each other along the way, what they discover is completeness, I think. They discover that as they form a group, as a group of individuals that were just wandering out in the blizzard in the darkness, feel that they have no place in the world, discover each other, they find a completeness in that grouping. But they also discover, I think, a completeness within each one of them. Maybe it's okay that I'm different. Maybe it's okay that I'm quirky. Maybe I'm less broken than I thought I was. Maybe I'm okay. Maybe this is the design of it. By the time they get to the island of misfit toys, I think that they're starting to key in on that truth. But to seal the deal, it's at the Island of Misfit Toys that I think it, it really happens. It really sets in. There's a box sitting there in the snow. They walk up to it. The box springs up. And there's Charlie. 
Charlie springs out of the box and informs them that they have arrived at the Island of Misfit Toys, the very place where all toys are sent to that no children in their right mind would ever want to play with. Charlie, for example, says, you'll note my name isn't Jack. It's Charlie. Children want to play with a Jack in the box, not a Charlie in the box. The train has square wheels, not round wheels. The toy birds can't fly, but they're rather good swimmers. You get the point. All of them are quirky. All of them have something about them that the world at large would say doesn't fit. Misfit is meant to be an insult by the world's standards. But in the completeness that is found in the love that they have for each other, they discover that maybe being a misfit is part of the design of all of this. I love that show. <laughs> I love that program. That's why I called the church the Island of Misfit Toys. I think, it took the, it took, I think it took you, church, probably several months of me using that phrase, which I don't use nearly as often now all these years later as I did back then. But I think eventually we all acknowledge we've been that kind of church for a really long time. We're just celebrating it. We're saying it out loud more. And the gift of saying it out loud is that with each confession that I'm a misfit, and somebody else saying, I'm going to misfit. There's more of a sense of belonging, not only to those that call this place home, but for those that end up here ultimately. It's kind of a life begets life kind of thing. Now, when we go to the New Testament, there are many places that we could travel to to understand what the early framers of the church were trying to get at when they were effectively saying, in the church, there's place for all. Misfits, one and all. I think Paul's probably better at it than just about anybody. He stumbles over his tongue quite often, as you know, but there are a lot of times he gets it right. And when it comes to Paul talking about the purpose of the church, I think more often than not, he nails it. What Paul will do is he'll, he'll remind the early Christian church one little location at a time and in turn the, the big C, the greater universal church, um, right behind it, that we are one, that there are many members, many parts, but ultimately we find our completeness when we come together. Another way to say it is we're not the same without you. We're not the same with the one that feels that they don't belong. We find our completeness when those that feel that they don't belong find a place of belonging. Here's how he states it in Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Uh, he nailed it. 
there is a sense of completeness when all of the individual parts and all of the quirkiness of those individual parts come together. And then Paul will go into detail later in Ephesians chapter 4, specifically in verse 11, about the major categories that people's giftedness can fall under. That they would include um, apostolic, being apostles. Some of us are apostles, he would say, and those are the individuals that are called to extend the gospel. Those that are called to use their unique giftedness and their unique vision that's always cast outward to consider that there are more misfit toys out there in the world beyond those of us that are here on the island. Paul will go on to say that some of us are called to be prophets. Hear this, those that are called first to bend their ear toward the heavens, bend their ear toward God and listen and discern the will of God and in turn to say what it is God needs us to hear and usually this is the message that is heard from the mouth of the prophet. God cares about those that the rest of the world has forgotten about. God cares about those that feel that their lives are utterly unimportant to the rest of us. That God, that Christ cares deeply about justice and mercy to those that the rest of the world has just written off and thrown away. Prophets are those that don't just belly ache because there's a fire in their belly. First and foremost, prophets are those that listen with their God-given hearing to the voice of God and in turn use their God-given courage to say aloud what it is they believe the people need to hear. And when they say people, by the way, they mean people on the island. Paul will go on to say that some of us are called to be evangelists. We're called to to use this innate sense of gratitude that we have, this gospel love that is planted deep within us, that we have no choice but to say it aloud, to proclaim from the rooftop something that has already happened inside of us. It's not hmm, charisma. Rather, it's just beauty. And people are so drawn to that beauty that the closer that they get to it, the closer that they get to the evangelist, the more they realize that they're seeing something inside of that person that looks like salvation and in turn sounds like salvation through the gift of the gospel. Paul will go on to say that some of us are called to be shepherds. What does that mean? Some of us are called to be shepherds or pastors. It means that we are called actually to nurture, to protect. And when we look to the Gospels at what Jesus says the job description is for a shepherd, we'll get different aspects of the job description throughout the Gospels. In some cases, it's guardian you know, over the wolves that are trying to attack. In other cases, it's a shepherd that says, I'm going to show you what love looks like. I'm going to leave you all behind to go and find the one that is lost, the one that doesn't feel that life is worth living or the one that feels that, that they don't matter. I'm gonna go there and leave the rest behind and then I'm gonna bring that sheep home and then it gets into a big old party, but that's a whole nother story for another day. Jesus says, if you want to know what love looks like, it looks like this and he points to himself and then he calls himself shepherd. Last but not least, Paul will say, then there's the rest of you. You're the teachers. Much like the prophets, you are the one who, who 
like prophet, bends your ear to God and opens your eyes and looks for God in Scripture and looks for God in tradition. And then once you've received the truth that God has given you, you are going to use this unbelievable creativity and intellect that God has planted inside of you to convey this truth that points to love in a way that it can be absorbed and most importantly, transform. A teacher's gonna teach, <laughs> but first and foremost, a teacher's gonna pay attention and receive truth and then share it in a way that, it, that transforms. Paul is saying at the beginnings of Ephesians 4 that we are all one body, all of us, that there is completeness in all the parts coming together. And then he's going to go on to say, and some of the uniqueness that is in each of you falls into these major categories. And when we find all these things, all these people and their giftedness, um, in their misfitted states, in their quirkiness, and in the unique way that we practice these things, that ultimately that is what's going to make the church live into her identity of being who we're called to be. It's early on in the uh, 2000s. We'll call her Mary. Mary is a regular in the what we used to call food pantry ministry. She comes in fairly frequently on the Thursday afternoons that we would distribute food and clothing and, and just relate to neighbors. Now remember, this isn't meant to be insult. We are the island of misfit toys, one and all. So the little band of misfits that's running that ministry downstairs is doing a masterful job of loving people unconditionally. And Mary knows it. One misfit knows when other misfits are the real deal. She gets the courage one day to confess something that all of us already knew to be true, that she was struggling with addiction and it was eating her alive. My addiction, I'll paraphrase, is isolating me from the world. It's isolating me from the man that I love and hope to marry. It's isolating me from the love of my children. She was painting for us a picture of walls that were being built higher and higher through the curse of addiction that she was desperately trying to get out of. She was drowning. It's as if the drugs were just pouring into the four walls and she was about to drown. Help, she said. The little circle of misfits used their unique giftedness, their unique insight, their unique experience to surround her with love, to equip her, to resource her. Let's hit fast forward. It's months later. She has now left the belly of the building, the basement, which is the only place that she found herself at home and she has emerged up to the sanctuary, to this space that I'm preaching this sermon. She's attending worship regularly. Do you remember church, the day that Mary walked down the aisle? The day that she testified to Christ's transforming power in her life? The day that she acknowledged that even though she felt like a misfit, that she had found a home here among us because she knew that she was being accepted for who she was. Church, do you remember not long after that, it being Easter morning and us peeling those curtains back after moving the pulpit and baptizing her without a dry eye in the place? The water flowed that day in a life-giving way. It was an extraordinary day where we celebrated Life emerging from death. 
on the, the Good Friday before that particular Easter, we had taken the Christ candle and extinguished it. We do that every Good Friday. The symbol that Christ is alive and his love is alive through us in the world is lit every single Sunday to remind us of that, is extinguished on Good Friday. And then on Easter morning, including that Easter morning, there is a dramatic lighting of the candle to celebrate that even death can't claim power over Christ. It was phenomenal. Hit fast forward again. It's months later. We're looking at that Christ candle. It's getting pretty tired. We've been burning it for over a year every single Sunday. Judy Fisk says, I think it's time for us to get a new Advent wreath holder. And I wonder if we should talk to George. We're calling him George here. Who's George? Well, George is, George is the significant other of Mary. He works for a local vendor here in Richmond making fences. He's a welder, a very gifted welder. It's a company that would take metal and after forging it into whatever it needs to be forged into and figuring out dimensions and then powder coating it, uh, which is basically you know, turning it into whatever color the client wants, then the fence is delivered and, and welded together so that it could create a barrier between one neighbor and another often to contain or to keep out. George, Judy says, as she shows him the cocktail napkin that she had drawn on, do you think that you could build something like this? Absolutely, he says. I've been wanting to do something for the church for a long time. I'd love to do that. So what does he do? He goes to his employer before you know it. Fast forward, we're in the sanctuary, and there it is on the platform. The gift that is Advent is that old worn out Christ candle gets set in the middle of an Advent wreath and then it just stays unlit for four weeks, right? So it's just pristine. And then there's a wreath on top of it and, and all of the other four candles are around it. And that particular year, I just remember thinking to myself, how beautiful, what a beautiful story. Like here's this, this material that was meant to be a barrier between one neighbor and the other that has been transformed to hold the very symbol that, that breaks down every barrier that the world could ever create so that in turn, those that are lost and alone out there in the world can finally converge together and find completeness. And in turn, carry that light back into the world where there are no fences obstructing them through the gift of the light of Christ to help others do the same. What a cool symbol. I can remember thinking after the Advent season with Judy, wouldn't it be interesting if we continued to use this in some way? Do you know that now over 14, 15 years, we've been using the same Christ candle holder year long, even though it's not Advent? And just about every time that I have the wisdom, which isn't often enough, to pause and look at it, I remember the story of Mary and George and think to myself, yep, that's church. Tabernacle, we are a servant people. We are recipients and embracers and in turn givers of costly love. We are a community of forgiven sinners. We're a community of the Spirit. 
we are a part of the body of Christ. In other words, we're church. We are the island of misfit toys. Tabernacle family. I hope y'all are having a safe weekend and that y'all all had a great week as well. This week I was finally able to get to hang out with our youth in person and we had a blast at our Tab Tuesday event this week. I finally got to get to know them in person and can I just say how awesome our youth are? I mean y'all already knew that but I had to say it myself. I love them so much and I can't wait to spend the rest of my summer with them and I could just go on and on and on. This week, however, was also a pretty difficult week and an emotional week. My best friend's younger brother, Sterling, who is 14 and is also like a younger brother to me, was recently diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma and he started his chemo this past week. It's been really heavy on my heart as well as theirs and I know that they would appreciate your positive thoughts and all of your prayers during this time. As we transition into our operatory prayer, I want to remind you, just as I said last Sunday, that you are loved, you are cared for, and you are important. My former youth pastor, Alice Cates Clark, used to always say at the end of every service that if God is moving in your heart in a way that you just can't sit still about, don't sit still about it. My prayer for you this week is that God moves in your heart just as he always has been and will continue to do so and that you will not sit still about it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Creator, all good gifts come from you. And from those gifts bring the offering. Help us to use it for the furtherance of your purpose in this place and for the benefit of those in need. Amen. Thank you, Tabernacle family.
Larry Allen shared a piano arrangement of the African-American spiritual, let us break bread together on our knees during our offertory time. The spiritual originated in the early 19th century with the slave population in the Charleston, South Carolina area. The text was first published in 1925. The chorus of the song goes like this. When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, O Lord, have mercy on me. It is in this position, on our knees, looking for a new day, that we come to the communion table asking God for mercy and for the ability to look at this world through the eyes of Christ. Listen as Kathy Allen shares a poem by Susan Paulo Kerwin, The Eyes of Christ. The Eyes of Christ. Where is the servant church amidst the bluster and boast? Look to the tables. Look to the dining tables where stranger and misfit find both food and welcome. Look to the altar tables where humility and justice roll down. Look to the bread, broken, shared at the altar broken, shared in the home, broken, shared at the lunch break, broken, shared in the open heart. Look to the eyes, eyes that rejoice, eyes that weep, eyes that celebrate, Eyes that see the Christ clothed in humanity. Where is the servant church? Look to the eyes that see across the table through broken bread the eyes of Christ in each returning gaze. I don't know about you, but I find myself really missing those moments when we gather at the table together, Communion Sundays in particular. Today we're going to do something a little bit different for Communion. We're going to travel back in time together. We're going to watch ourselves take Communion several years ago. For those of you that are new to Tabernacle, you should know that because we come from so many different Christian traditions, we very much openly embrace this idea that we don't have to take communion just one way. And so it was on this particular Sunday that we practiced communion by way of intinction. That's a churchy word. It means taking the bread as it's given to you and dipping it into the cup and then partaking of the elements. 
I love watching the backs of everyone's heads as they come forward in parade. And I love watching everybody's faces as they return to the pews with uh, their faces full of gratitude. You know, the service that we're about to watch over these next few minutes in partaking of communion, you can hear a baby crying quite loudly in the distance through the majority of our time together. Very much a tabernacle moment. Definitely feels like one of those Island of Misfit toy moments. You'll note that teenagers are helping serve the elements on this particular day, some of them quite wiggly. You'll note that there are people that appear on the screen that are no longer with us. They are now in the great cloud of witnesses. You will note that they are younger versions of ourselves. You will note that perhaps you aren't there yet. Travel back with me in time to remember this day, that it is in the breaking of bread and it is in the gift of the cup that we reminded of Christ, sacrificial gift. I want you to take your time. I want you to choose to partake of the elements um, later. This is going to take a few minutes. So when you hear Ben beginning to play his flute, it's at that moment that you can choose to take the elements. Or if you'd rather, you could just wait a little while. Pray for the people. Pray for each unique person. Pray for those that aren't physically present on that day, but are physically present this day. Let's join together. Let's gather around the table. At the other side of the bookend that was Jesus' first miracle at Cana, we find Jesus in Jerusalem in an upper room with his disciples. It is there the God of abundance. It is this one, the one who was repelled by those that would come forward professing purity and ignore those that felt so impure that they couldn't look to the stars and ask for grace. It is here at the table that Jesus found himself gathered with a group of ragtag disciples, many of them very aware of their flaws, their scratches and dents, making eye contact with them and seeing light in their eyes as it is reflected in his own gaze, that he took a loaf of bread and after blessing it and breaking it, it is that God of abundance that gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. And after having partaken of the bread, he took a cup. And after having blessed it, he poured it. poured himself out into it. And he gave it to each of them, each of us. He said, this is the blood of my covenant that is poured out for many, for all, for the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. God of mystery, God of wonder, God of light. Reveal to us in the mystery that is your light 
what it means to be bearers of your life. Let these elements that we partake of be a reminder of your abundance, Lord, of the sustenance that you have provided all of us. Let it be a reminder, Lord, that you have come to give us exactly what it is that we have run out of. We pray these things in our Savior's name, in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, What a tremendous blessing it is that we've been able to gather for worship. Thank you for joining us. I want to remind you that if you haven't had a chance to do so yet, please visit our website and sign in. Let us know that you participated in worship this week. It serves as a tremendous source of encouragement to those of us that are facilitating worship, and it also helps us have an idea of who's with us and perhaps even who's drifted away. We also want to encourage you to linger for a little while if you want to wander through the digital pews and pass the peace of Christ to one another. We would just encourage you to do so. And now a word of benediction. Here's something audacious. I pray that you would experience the weirdness of the divine love in ways that leave you disoriented. I pray that you would be caught off guard when God meets you outside of the boxes that you have constructed and yet remains in the places you vacated. I pray you will bless 
the box you once needed for God and that you will treat it tenderly even as you leave it behind you. Friends, may you find a way to laugh in your sorrow, a way to hope in grief, a way to peace in the noise, and a way to rest in the midst of upheaval. I pray that we would both live into the truth of God's mighty, all-encompassing love that holds our answered prayers and unanswered longings, our miracles and our brokenness, our grief and our joy, our ordinary miracles and all of those reasonable things. I pray that we would keep unlearning and relearning God in response to the never-changing, always steady, yesterday, today, and forever love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace.